Welcome back to the informal podcast. It has been, gosh, a good six months since we last did a pod. Um, I actually think the last pod we did may have been the best one ever. Definitely the most knowledgeable person we've ever had on the podcast. With We're back, and we're back with significantly less professionalism and knowledge than we had before. But we're back. And that's what matters. That's really what matters. Exactly. Um, yeah, so getting into you know, just this pod, what, what we sort of want to cover, why we want to, um, you know, get back on it and why we're itching to is basically everything, basically everything and anything. Um, we've got a bunch of stuff that we, stuff we want to talk about, um, on the premier league, uh, some basketball, big premier league guy right here. Yeah. Yeah. Sam is going to blow the roof off the doors. Is that how you say that? The roof is completely off the doors. Blow the roof off the doors on the Premier League. Uh, we'll talk some college basketball, uh, some NBA, MLB, golf, NFL, NHL. Wow. And we may even throw some conspiracy theories in somewhere Stay along tuned the way. For the end. Stay tuned for the end of this marathon for some hot takes on conspiracy theories. You know who we're beholden to in this podcast? We're beholden to no one, and we're going to talk about what we want to for as long as we want to. So strap in, everybody. Absolutely right, yeah. So I'm in Florida here in spring training, and I don't have a mic. So you know what? Um, Just deal with that. I'm not going to apologize for that. So, yeah, just deal with it. You've already downloaded it. So if you don't like the way it sounds, delete it. We don't care. You downloaded it. True that. So do do we want to talk about how the earth is flat now, or do we want to wait till later? Save it. (laughs) Save it. Bury the lead. Look, we we got them here. Let's at least make them sit through some sports before I spit out some hot takes. All right, good deal. Um, Let's just jump right in um, and talk about – this Tennessee-Kentucky basketball game that we watched on Saturday. You know, I am a known Georgia Bulldogs fan, um, but I'll have to say that I know nothing about Georgia Bulldogs basketball. Um, Santiago Gaines played there maybe 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> Good player. Davius Caldwell-Pope played there, gosh, six, seven years ago. Um, yeah, and we just signed a five-star. We just signed five-star. Um, Number two overall, I think. Tom Crean coming through. Class. So, wow, know the head coach's name. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really making strides here in the Georgia Bulldogs basketball landscape. But I will have to say I have, for some reason, taken interest in this Tennessee team. Um, they are just so interesting because they're a team that doesn't have very many highly rated recruits. I mean, I think they said on the uh, – on the broadcast when I was watching on Saturday that Ponds was the highest rated recruit coming in off of their entire team. Um, yep, Eves Ponds. Mr. Two Minutes, Zero Points, Two Fouls. Eves Ponds. And he just, yeah, he just it looks like a baby giraffe out there a lot of times. Just has no idea how to control his body. Um, but he's athletic. He does have big strides. He's athletic. But, you know, they haven't had a freshman score all year long. It sort of just brings you back and makes you relish, you know, 10 years ago when you got players playing for three years everywhere and just old old vets just running the floor in March. That's sort of what it brings me back to watching Tennessee play. And when they went up to Rupp earlier this, um, earlier this month, I guess in February, man, they got their butts handed to them. I mean, they were, Be they were out physical. They were outplayed. P.J. Washington hit about 75 right-handed baby hook shots. 
Um, and we refused to guard him. Yes, the, I know. The, uh, the wing for Kentucky, Johnson, hit like 17 threes in a row at one point. Um, Hero had a bunch of points. Uh, at the end of that game, Tyler Hero thought he was good at basketball. That's how poorly it went for he's us. He's a bucket. Did you see that? Did you see, oh, he's, yeah. He, he oh, was yeah. a bucket at that game. Um, Did you see that game on Saturday? He scored in like the first three minutes of the game and then yelled on his way back down the court that Admiral Schofield could not guard him, and he didn't make a shot the rest of the game. He was he at the side of the backboard at one point. <laughs> I mean, it was, was it was really hard to watch. Um, but yeah, it, I mean, it just seemed like in Rupp, Tennessee had no prayer. I mean, you go into that game, it's a night game. There's so much hype built up on that game and Tennessee really laid an egg. I, to be honest, watching that game, I was like, Tennessee, honestly, they'd missed some shots. Yeah. They, they were out physical, but I just thought Kentucky was that much better. It's not like Tennessee, I didn't think played terrible. They, they, you know, were inconsistent with their shooting and, um, but they just got manhandled in that game. And I was like, Kentucky is just, you know, just head and shoulders better. And they're coming, you know, this ha- this happens all the time with Cal teams. They'll start off slow and then come on strong at the end of the year. And I sort of thought that's what was happening. Um, but then as I was watching Tennessee play Ole Miss um, before all the garbage was thrown on the floor and Kermit Davis's jacket was launched into the scores table. Oh man! Um, R.I.P. to that button-up shirt he was wearing too. Man. Oh man, that was tough, man. He got oh, buckets of water over for yeah. that. Um, over for that thing. Turner and Bowden started hitting shots, which hadn't happened in a long time. Um, and I knew that sort of boded well going into this Kentucky game. I don't know how that little runner that Grant Williams. I mean, that hit every part of the rim and went in. It, I, I thought, like, if I make, if I shoot that shot in the backyard, that thing is clanking big time. I don't know how that runner went in for them to beat Ole Miss, but they did. And when they played at uh, Thompson Bowling on Saturday, I mean, it was like the just the rolls that flip. Kentucky had nothing. Um, so I know you watched. What, what what was your takes on the game on Saturday? So first of all, I'd like to say that beating Kentucky in basketball is about the best feeling you can have as a Vols fan. The only thing I can assume would be better would be beat, would be beating Alabama in football, and I was so young the last time we did that, I couldn't tell you what it feels like. Um, this is the best Tennessee athletics team that I've ever seen in my life. I was alive in 1998 for the football championship, but I don't remember it. You know, I was like six years old. Um, I'm just enjoying every minute of this season that I can, and after the Kentucky game in Rupp, you know, I kind of, I was, I was putting on a brave face. I was pretending like I wasn't that worried about it, but I kind of thought to myself, well, you know, it's still a great team, but it's not a Final Four team. And then we lost to LSU, and I'll be honest, the LSU game, I thought we were better than LSU. I thought we outplayed them the whole game. We had, I hate this kind of analysis, but we had a crooked whistle. I mean, Anthony Jordan is terrible. They, they shot twice as many free throws as we did. And we missed a bunch of open shots, so that's going to happen. Well, let's let's talk real quick about um, about that ref, Anthony Jordan, who <laughs> a picture came up with him in an LSU Tigers T-shirt. He said, like, oh, it's just a picture as a joke or whatever. But he grew up an LSU fan, and, and, I mean, that's, that's – yeah. now, you know, I, I'm sure that there was no, you know, foul whistle on purpose in that game due to him being an LSU fan – but there's some questionable calls that went LSU's way. Um, and just him having that shirt on after that 
just really was not a good look for him. Um, it's a tough look. And look, SEC basketball referees are notoriously terrible. Anthony Jordan's awful. Whether he's an LSU fan or not, he's terrible. Pat Adams is awful and he's antagonistic, which is, you know, the trifecta or the whatever two things is. It's awful. Um, Teddy Valentine, he's terrible. The fact that I know three officials' names. I'm blown away right now, to be honest. It's not it's not good. They're all three awful. And they're the three, like the the three, what do you call it? The the captains of their of their squad, whatever. I don't know how you talk about referees, the heads, but they're, they're awful. head referees, they're, right? They're the head ref on their crews, and all three of them are trash. So the fact that we, you know, there was a a disparity in fouls of two to one doesn't surprise me. And like you said, I don't think Anthony Jordan was intentionally thrown, you know, in the bag for LSU. But you can't say watching that game that if it was an if it was if it was more well officiated Tennessee would have won the game that being said if Lamonte Turner doesn't take a terrible three-pointer with eight and a half seconds left in overtime Tennessee might win the game if Tennessee makes you know two extra free throws throughout the course of the game they win so you know I'm not worried about that I think if we play LSU in the tournament we'll beat them by eight to ten points um but how does how does the SEC allow one of its officials. I mean, how do you not go do a social media search? Get an intern who you're not paying anything to go look at these guys' social media and go back. And if you've got a T-shirt on of one of the teams in the league, you can't you can't officiate this league. I'm sorry. Like, you just can't do it. I mean, especially, I in, the, the especially in today's um, era where, I mean, you would think that the SEC would go through officials' social media accounts just for – you know, some some sort of scandalous posts that they've had in the past, seeing that, you know, a bunch of stuff. Josh is, Hader. Right, yeah. You, you you have to go through um, a public figure's social media for something that, you know, may be red flag. So you would think they – I'm 100% sure that they did that as in the SEC. So it's weird that that wouldn't come up. You know, I mean well, – That begs the question. If they did, then why did, did they either miss that or decide that it was okay? Because – you can't blame the guy for growing up an LSU fan. He grew up in Louisiana. I mean, you know, everybody's from somewhere. You know, if you're a big enough fan to get into officiating, you probably are a fan of a team or at least of the sport in general. But you can't keep your fandom, you know, into your 40s when you're officiating these games. It just whether or not he's actively rooting for LSU, that's there's some of that in there somewhere. And even if there's not, it just it raises question marks. It lets people have the conversation we're having now, which is awful for the SEC. And I don't know how they let him officiate another game in the conference. I don't know how you can do it. So while we're on the, the topic of officials, well, that game was on CBS, right? So I was watching all of a sudden um, the announcer, I don't, I don't know who was announcing the game. Um, Dickie V. It, was, it wasn't Dickie V that was announcing it. For the LSU game, it was. Uh, I'm talking about – I'm sorry. I'm talking about the uh, the Kentucky game. Um, oh, the Kentucky game was the CBS the CBS, yeah, it was the CBS Clark Kellogg and Rafferty. That's right. It was Rafferty. I knew it was Rafferty. I didn't know who the um, – I don't know who the, who the play-by. Um, I don't know who the play-by. But all of a sudden, they're like, yeah, let's bring in our rules here. It's Joe Tessador. That, that's his name, right? <laughs> who does the NFL stuff? Like, how is that guy <laughs> supposed to know what's going on? I mean, maybe it was a, they, none of them have any idea what's going on. No, I mean, he may the as well put Tony Romo, put, put, put Romo on, on on the call. I mean, he he, he knew I exactly what play they're running. 
I guarantee you Romo knows more about the rules of college basketball than any person officiating an SEC game right <laughs> Joe now. Tessimore. And while we're talking about let's go let's go on a tangent off the tangent. How about Jason Witten being so bad on Monday Night Football that he went back to actually playing football? Is that the first time that's ever happened? And getting paid four or five million dollars <laughs> to go play. He's like, you know, did you see what Steve Smith said about him on NFL Network? No. They asked, they asked Steve Smith, they're like, hey, Steve, Jason Witten, he came out of retirement to go play. You thinking about doing that? He was like, no, I'm actually good on TV, wow. so I'm going to keep this job. I mean, Witten was Shots bad, fired. but it was it was sort of coupled with how good Romo was that made him look so bad, it's, right? I mean, It's a tough look. You can't be a Romo contemporary and not look bad. I mean, I like Jason Witten. I didn't think he was that bad. Like, If you get Jason Witten in a normal year, you're just like, oh, whatever. You know, he's boring, but that's fine. But when he's going right after Romo, you can't follow it. So who do you put on as a color guy for Monday Night Football now? My vote's for Rafferty. I think Rafferty would do an incredible job. Now that that we're crossing (laughs) sports like this, why not just go full Rafferty? Let's be honest. If you can't get Tony Romo, like if you can't get a guy who's calling out the defense and telling you what play's about to happen, just get the most entertaining person possible which would either be Rafferty or what's the SB Nation guy? Is that Pat McAfee? Get Pat McAfee. He knows Put what's going McAfee on. Put McAfee on there. Yes. Put McAfee in there. Do the right thing, NFL. Put McAfee in the booth. We'll figure – I mean, I think if um, – I, I, so Romo has another couple of years. Obviously, they were going to try to sign him. Um, I would not be surprised if CBS threw – millions and millions and millions of dollars at him just i mean he's got to say you got to keep him right you got to resign him he's a Mahomes of broadcasting um so so let's get back on topic here and what we're originally talking about and that's the kentucky tennessee game at thompson bowling on saturday um your thoughts on that game at large on that game in particular so i think as a tennessee fan um, that is, I mean, it, it's easy to say that's the biggest game of the year, but I think it's one of the two turning point games of the season for us. The other one being the Gonzaga game in uh, late November, I think late November, early December, because for both of those games, not only are they the two best ones on the schedule, but they also, if they go the other way, really make you look at this Tennessee season in a completely different light. So Tennessee right now is, I believe, 20, 27 and 3. They lose both of those games. They're 25 and 5. Still, that's that's a fantastic season. Probably the best season Tennessee basketball's ever had. But if you look at what that 25 and 25 and 5 record would be, it would be 25 wins against a bunch of mediocre teams. I mean, that, that would have a loss to Kansas, two losses to Kentucky, a loss to LSU, and a loss to Gonzaga. Basically the only good teams on your schedule. They come through with that Gonzaga win early in the season, and it really you could see the confidence of the of the team change. So at some point during that game, I mean, Grant fouled out, and Admiral Schofield put the team on his back and scored I think like thirteen the last fourteen points or something ridiculous, and really came into his own as a team leader and established this team as one of the best in the country, and that translated into the run they went on after that, where they started at, I think twelve and zero in the SEC, and then this Kentucky game. If Kentucky goes into Thompson Bowling and beats Tennessee again, even if it's a close game, then the mentality of the Vols team going into the SEC tournament is completely shot. Because even if you finish second in the league with a really good record on track for a two or a three seed, you're going to face Kentucky again at some point, whether it's in the SEC tournament or in the NCAA tournament. 
and you have no confidence going into that game. The next time you face a good team, you face a North Carolina or a Duke or Michigan State, you've got no confidence going into that game. What Tennessee proved on Saturday is that they are one of the best five or six teams in the country, and when they're playing their best game, they can beat anyone. And I think that's huge, not only for their chances to still win the SEC title and get a one seed, which we can talk about in a second. I think they should absolutely be a one seed. But also for the just for the confidence of the team and for the belief surrounding that team that, yes, we can beat anybody. We're not just feasting on the Vanderbilts and the South Carolinas and, the, I'm sorry, the Georgias of the world. We can hang with the big boys. And I think that's huge for the team going forward because the last couple of years, last year specifically, Rick Barnes – well, and even going back to Texas, Rick Barnes kind of has a reputation for having good overall records and losing big games. So I think coming through with a couple of big wins this year is really what that team needed to take the next step into the elite. I don't disagree with that argument, to be honest with you. I mean, I think that Tennessee really proved to themselves, actually, that that they are a top team in the nation and compete with the Dukes and the Virginias the world. I mean, they've already beat Gonzaga, but Gonzaga win was earlier in the year. So, you know, looking at the last couple of games where they've lost pretty bad to Kentucky, like we talked about, but then they went on and lost at LSU after beating Vanderbilt. But, you know, the LSU game, they, they played pretty tough, but still they lost. And so the Ole Miss game, I think, you know, finally was like a deep breath, like, okay, that we were in a tough game and we won. And so then to go in and, and really beat Kentucky pretty bad, I think it does a lot to their locker room to see, you know, whenever they do, you know, go to the SEC tournament and let's say they're playing LSU in the semis or they're playing Kentucky in the final or, or however it shakes out, you know, they can go to that game not just like, a man, we're a good team, but, man, we've been here before, you know. Like we've we've won these games. We can do this, you know, that – that confidence and belief in yourself really cannot be underestimated. So I think this does go a really long way for them, and and hopefully it'll pan out as we go on through this year that that Tennessee will will show that confidence. You know, you, you never know, but um, I think after that game they're in a really good spot. Hopefully, if they can they can finish out their SEC schedule strong. Absolutely, and I'll be honest with you, we were talking about recording last weekend. I think during the LSU game. And I was ready to come on here and not press the panic button, but express some real concerns about the way the team was playing because the LSU game, like I said earlier, I, I, I feel like we're better than LSU and we a mixture of the way Tennessee played and the way the game was officiated, we gave that game away. Um, but even during the Ole Miss game, I just didn't feel like Tennessee was playing with an intensity level that they had played with earlier in the year. And they had coasted, I mean, let's be honest, they had coasted through the first half of their SEC schedule, um, beating bad teams, even teams like Vandy and South Carolina and Texas A&M, who are nowhere near as talented as the Vols are, hung around a lot longer than they should, gave Tennessee tough games. And even though the final scores of those games were generally 10, 12, 14-point games, if you watch the game, Tennessee isn't wasn't playing up to their, their potential. And you could see it, especially – on the glass, on the defensive end of the floor, the intensity wasn't there. And I think that shot that Grant Williams hit at the end of the game against Ole Miss was huge because it reminded the team how good they actually are, but not only that, how hard they have to play every minute to fulfill their potential. And they came out at Kentucky and pretty much wire to wire, you know, dominated a top five team. And I think that's what we needed going forward. I'm saying we like I'm part of the team, but, hey, it's the best team I've ever watched. So I think that's what we needed going forward to really fulfill the potential of this team. And I really – Really hope that we're on a flight 
to Minneapolis here in about three weeks' time to the Final Four. You're wow. You know, Final Four is a lot longer than three weeks from now. First of all, second of all, you you are total we you are a total we guy there. We guy. Yeah, I was. I don't like we guys generally, but look with this basketball team, I'm a we guy. Let's go. That's why I get so upset when my teams lose because I'm a we guy. You know what? Final Four is in four weeks, so excuse me. We're not there. You go. Far. Yeah, four weeks. Yeah, this is pretty close. Okay. Yeah, it was. I thought it would be longer from now. I mean, March Madness usually is April Madness. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk one seeds. Um, I think that's a, a good segue go. to the one seeds. Um, so right now, if if you had to to pick and say, all right, you know. Based on you know we haven't played conference tournaments anything like that. What are your who are your number you know one two three and four one seeds going into the NCAA tournament? Do you want mine or do you want what I think the one seeds will end up being? Um, well, because I, I think t- it t- might slightly be different. Tell me yours and then and then let me know. Um, what how you think the committee would differ from you at this point in time okay so for me i think virginia has all but locked one up i mean over the 27 and 2 right before we came on to record they were in the process of running syracuse they drummed out of the them gym. they drummed drilled them. syracuse a Syracuse team that beat duke in cameron indoor by the way let's not forget that and this game that game I was think, at the carrier dome it was Virginia the Carrier Dome. Game. Beat them by 30, I the, think. The Carrier Dome, which houses 75,000 fans. Oh, uh, yeah, there weren't that many there tonight, buddy. There weren't <laughs> 75,000 in there tonight. Not at the end <laughs> there wasn't, no, that's for no, sure. No, there was not. A lot of fans disguised as empty seats. <laughs> uh, I think Virginia's a one seed. They're 27-2 and two or whatever, and their only two losses are to Duke. Unless they just go out in like the first round of the ACC tournament, I think, I think Virginia's a one seed. I think if Zion Williamson is healthy and Duke makes the ACC tournament final, I think that Duke is in. Now, if Zion's not healthy or Duke gets beat early, they're probably off the one line. But I think if Zion's healthy, I think two the ACC gets two one seeds. Then I think whoever wins the SEC tournament is a one seed, whether that be Tennessee, Kentucky, or if LSU wins out and wins the tournament, I think LSU would deserve a one seed too. Um, they had kind of a sketchy non-conference schedule, but if they finish the season with five losses with an SEC regular season and tournament title, you're looking at a one seed. So I think one one from the SEC, two from the ACC, and I think the fourth one is probably Gonzaga, even though they really don't have any good wins outside of that Duke game that was you know forever ago. Um, I think that's probably it. I'll go Virginia, Duke, given Zion being healthy, and then I think Tennessee is going to win the tournament. So Tennessee and Gonzaga. I think the committee will put in two ACC teams, an SEC team, the winner. Well, no, let me take that back. I think I think the committee gives one from the ACC, one from the SEC, Gonzaga, and then a Big Ten team, whether that be Michigan or Michigan State, which I think is ridiculous, but I think that's what's going to happen. So I, I don't think if LSU wins out there, one. I don't. What if North Carolina wins out? If North Carolina wins out, wins the tournament? If North Carolina beats Duke on Saturday and then wins the tournament. I mean, it's hard to not not put them in there. Um, I think in that scenario, they probably take Duke's spot for me. 
All right. So I just have a really I've got a weird feeling that Michigan State, with all their terrible losses, are gonna end up as a one seed and it's gonna be ridiculous and they're gonna lose in the second round. But I just I think that's what's gonna happen. So how I mean, so right now I'm I'm looking at the odds of these teams to win the national championship. Okay. Um, uh-huh. Duke is by far the favorite. Duke, I mean, they're overwhelmingly the favorite. They're, they're like two to one odds right now, um, which is insane when you've got a, a team that you, the bet the guy that you need to win it. You don't even know if he's healthy and going to play. You think he will, but you don't know for sure. And this team hadn't even played in the SEC turn or in the ACC tournament. Or I mean, you got to win a ton of games. I don't know. That just seems like really high. So then. They're they're the obviously the favorite. Then Gonzaga is plus eight fifty. Kentucky's plus nine hundred. Buddy, Gonzaga is not winning the the national championship. You know what? It's not going to happen. Gonzaga went to the national championship games a couple of years ago, and they have a uh-huh. eerily similar team, an eerily similar team with with a lottery pick on it. So I mean, I don't want to I don't want to poo poo Gonzaga because Tennessee beat Gonzaga. Let the record show. Gonzaga is a very good team. Gonzaga hasn't played a good team since 2018. I mean, they just haven't. And that's not their fault that they play in the Western Athletic Conference or whatever conference they're in. And they beat St. Mary's the other day, which is a tough road game. St. Mary's is always pretty good. But Gonzaga's not going to win the national championship. They're just not gonna, it's not going to happen. It's like Butler's not going to win the national championship. They were one shot away from winning it, but they're not going to win it. A team like that cannot is not going to win the national title. They're just Gonzaga is a model program. And Mark Few's done a great job, but they're not going to win a national championship. There you go. So um, I disagree. I think it they can win decided. it. I think I think absolutely think they can win it. Um, so Kentucky is a third favorite at plus nine hundred. Obviously, we have seen how good Kentucky can be. I just don't think they can be consistent throughout an entire tournament. I could be wrong. Obviously, Travis has been out. Once he gets back, I mean, he's he seemed like a difference maker, but I mean, I, I don't know for sure. Um, if you listen to Kentucky fans after that Tennessee game, Reed Travis or whatever that guy's name is, must be like a top five pick in the NBA. <laughs> because every Kentucky fan on Twitter was like, yeah, you beat us, but Reed Travis didn't play. Reed Travis and his 11 points a game is apparently now a National Player of the Year candidate, but continue. So Virginia's fourth at plus 950. North Carolina's plus 1100, along with Tennessee, who's plus 1100. So I am going to declare right now here on this podcast some 26 minutes in that Virginia is going to win the national championship. Virginia is the best college basketball team in the country, barring a Duke team with Zion Williamson playing their best basketball. Virginia and Tony Bennett have been incredible all season long, including my guy, Kyle Guy, who has played and balled all year long. Virginia now has a sketchy tournament resume. Just from pre, I guess not resume, but previous trips to the tournament have not ended well, including last year when they were the number one overall seed and lost Didn't go to the well first last round. year. But Don't listen to the informal podcast about that one. It's one of the best ones we've ever recorded. Oof. It's a good one. Virginia, though, I think their only two losses are to Duke, Wizon, Williamson. So close I will say both, right? close, both were very close games. Um, one of them, Duke, went like 15 for 17 from three or, or something. Uh, that's something not dumb. an accurate stat, but it was something dumb. Uh, checks um, out. Informal. It's informally accurate. 
So I, I think I think Duke will be a one. I think Virginia will be a one. I think Gonzaga will be a one. Um, and man, I I think if Tennessee wins the tournament, they'll be a one. I think if Kentucky wins the tournament, they'll be a one. Kind of like you said, they don't win. I think Michigan or Michigan State will get that last one seed. Um, There's no way that they give three one seeds to the ACC, right? It's not going to be Virginia, North Carolina, and Duke. No, I don't think so because I think for North Carolina to get a one seed, Duke would have to not get a one seed. You know, I, I just yeah. I think They're that that means spot. that means North Carolina would have to beat Duke on Saturday and then probably win the tournament. You know, which they can. Yeah. North Carolina is good. Um, really good. You know, especially if, if Zion doesn't play on Saturday. I, I think he may come back on Saturday, though. So, any other college basketball observations that you have before we move on? That's it. That's all I got. Let's move on. All right. So, I know you got some Premier League stuff to get off of your chest. And I, I think here about 30 Indeed. minutes into the pod, you're about to <laughs> burst. So, let's hear it. Let, let's hear everything Indeed. you got. Indeed. First things first, we're a couple weeks late on this. We've been trying to find a date to record this podcast for a couple weeks, as referenced earlier, but we're recording now, so we're going to talk about it now. I made you go back and watch the scenes from the League Cup final, Manchester City versus Chelsea. Let me set the stage for you, then I'll get your thoughts as an outsider who is not, let's say, the biggest Premier League fan. So, League Cup (laughs) final, Manchester City versus Chelsea, nil-nil going into extra time. Nil-nil. Nil-nil. I'm, I'm getting the lingo. Nil-nil going into extra time. Chelsea's goalkeeper, whose name is Keppa, which is fantastic. The Keppa named Keppa. Got the British, <laughs> British accent. It's awesome. He makes a pretty good save, um, diving, lunging for the ball. Looks like he pulls his hamstring. He rolls around on the floor for a little while like soccer players tend to do. Um, the, the, the trainer comes out, sprays the magic spray on him. He says he's ready to go. Deer antler spray. Dear, whatever it is, ask Ray Lewis. I don't know about that kind of stuff. Or VJ um, Singh. <laughs> VJ Singh is so old, but we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that later, maybe if we have time. Um, so they come out, they spray the magic spray. He's good to go. There's like probably 15 minutes left in the game. So probably down to inside of five minutes left in extra time. If you don't know, you get to the end of extra time, still tied. You go to penalty kicks if it's in a tournament. So there's like five minutes left. He makes another save. Kind of pulls up lame again. The trainer comes back out. He's hobbling around. Chelsea's manager goes to make a sub. They're going to put in the backup goalie because they got they got penalties coming up. You got to have a healthy goalkeeper in there. So the manager goes down, tells the referee, "Hey, we're swapping this guy out." The backup goalie's on the sideline warming up. Keppa, the starting goalkeeper, looks at the bench, makes eye contact with his manager. You can't see me, but I'm waving my finger. He's wagging his finger, telling his manager, "No, he's not coming off." Waves him off. They have like, I don't know, like a five-minute stare down in front of everyone on television. Uh, the, the, the player wins. The player won the confrontation. The manager huffs and puffs back to the bench, slams his clipboard, and walks down the tunnel like he's just quit in the middle of the game. Gets halfway down the tunnel, realizes he can't do that. He's got, he's got penalties. He's got to at least pretend like he cares. So he comes back. The backup goalkeeper is still standing in the tunnel. He's done. He doesn't know what to do. They, they go to penalties. This is the best part. They go to penalties, and Keppa lets one go right between his hands. I mean, had it in his hands and just spills it in the back of the net, and Chelsea lose. So, as a person who doesn't watch soccer, I need your thoughts on this. You went back and watched it because I made you go back and watch it. What do you think about – I mean, it, first of all, is British soccer not the most entertaining thing in the world? 
Second of all, what do you think in general of this performance by a <laughs> keeper named Keppa? Right. So I'm a known football uh, skepticist, I, I, maybe. Um, Funny it's not my, it's not, <laughs> not my favorite sport, um, you know, to view as a patron. But I will say that I went back and watched this specific event and – it blew my <laughs> mind. Enthralling, right? It's the most entertaining thing on television. So it's let incredible. me put this into the context of baseball for you since, well, soccer doesn't make much sense to me. <laughs> so think about this, okay? So Keppa, Keppa the keeper, Keppa the keeper, it, would you say he is a all-star? He is the... Um, he broke the, the broke the record for the highest transfer fee for a keeper ever in world football. So for the uninitiated, that means Chelsea paid roughly $80 million to his former club for the right to have him on their team, which is insane. Um, but as far as actually ability on the field, he's probably like the seventh or eighth best goalkeeper in the Premier League. So take that for what you will. Really expensive. Okay, so he's, a, he's a good He's an overpaid, borderline all-star. Well, he's and he's like twenty-four, so they're they lost a high-profile keeper last year, so they're you know investing for the future kind of deal. They overpaid because they had to to get him, and they got all the money in the world, so it doesn't matter. But yeah, he's he's good, not great, is what all I'm right. saying. All right, so I'll 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 let's the the person that's coming to mind right now, who's sort of in that same similar boat. Um, would be like Zach Greinke. Okay, Zach Greinke, he got a ton of money, and he's a phenomenal pitcher. But somebody who, you know, may make the all-star team, may not, right? He's, he's going to be really, really good. Um, but there are some other pitchers right now in the game that are probably you choose over him, you know. So, um, sure. so Zach Greinke is pitching into the ninth inning, right? It is – there's – there's two outs, bases loaded. He's thrown a shutout. And so he's at a ton of pitches. You can tell he's worn down. He doesn't have much left in the tank. So all of a sudden the manager comes out. I, I don't know who Arizona's manager is. Arizona's manager comes out. And Mr. They, manager. they call to the bullpen, okay? They're going to bring in Archie Bradley to face, you know, whoever. And Greinke just stand as Bradley is running in. Greinke just stands on the mound and he says, "No, I'm not leaving this game. You're not taking me out. I don't care how gassed I am." So, but in that well, situation, Greinke to, you know, to add some color in your analogy, Archie Bradley would be halfway to the mound, like right. he's out of the bullpen. He's he's on the dirt. He's the he's on the he's in the bullpen cart going towards yeah, the he's, mound. He's halfway there in the cart. He's warmed up. He's ready to go. He's hot, right? And Greeky just stands on the mound and refuses to come out. Okay, first, I've never seen this happen before in baseball. Um, I, I've seen managers come out and ask the pitcher, you know, hey, how, how do you feel? And the pitcher says, this is my game. I want this. And the manager's like, awesome. Let's go. Let's do it. You know that? But that situation, I come out like, hey, I'm going to sort of play it by ear if you know, if the pitcher reacts one way or another, we'll take him out or leave him in. You know, that's sort of up in the air. But this manager's coming out saying, you're coming out of the game. Like, thanks, great job. Hit the showers. You know, you did awesome. Give me the ball. Give, Give me, me the, ball. the ball. Angry, he says, no, I'm not giving you the ball. It's 
it's not Greinke's job to decide who's pitches. You know, like it's it's his job to pitch. It's it's this goalie's right. job to stop soccer balls from tickling the twine. You know, I mean that's his that's his job. Um, his job's not to decide who who comes in and and plays the match. So. This guy is pretty much Max, saying, you like, got, you got the lingo, Max, right? You, got it. you know, it's nil yeah. nil, right? It's nil nil. Yeah, nil um, nil in the match. It's, it's nil nil in this match. <laughs> so this guy basically says, not only am I a bet, bet the best goalie, right? I'm the best goalie, but you don't know how to you do your job, so I'm going to do your job for you and, and tell you I'm staying yeah. in this game. Um, it's just bizarre, but a bizarre situation. Obviously the manager needed to take control there and say, like, okay, yeah, you're, you're, you're coming out of the game. I mean, it's, but that that manager just is it manager? Is that what you would call it? The coach? Yeah, um, no manager. They're managers. Okay, the, man- right. the manager lost all respect. You know, I mean, I mean, think about if at your job, so your your boss walks up to a fellow coworker of yours and says, "Hey, just, I'm sorry, but you're fired." And the coworker says, "No, I'm not." And the and the and your boss goes, okay, never mind. You're you're not All right, fired. It's fine. Just right? Like, I mean, that, that that you would have no respect for that manager, right? And and if you you just can't. So I, I don't know. I it blew my mind. I don't know how it happened in a game of that magnitude. That manager needs to be fired. Um, yeah. Well, th- this is a little bit of background that plays into this. Is that this is one of the Chelsea, I'm, this is my first year like intently following the Premier League, but you know, I, I've kind of been tangentially following it for a few years. And Chelsea does this thing where they win the league, and then the next year they kind of like nobody really wants to play that hard, and they only play to half their potential, and they finish like seventh or eighth or whatever, and the manager gets fired. And this happened two or three times in a row. So this is a new manager. And it really hasn't gone well. Like he has a specific system and the players don't really want to play that system, and it's been <laughs> ugly the whole year because the players kind of hate him, and he kind of hates the players, and he you know, he calls them out in the media, and they call him out in the media, and it's been a whole thing all year. So this, that's kind of what's led up to this point. And then the goalkeeper just blatantly defies what the manager tells him to do on the middle of the pitch, in the middle of the cup final, like... If you're the manager, you have to either you yourself have to walk out there and grab him by the back of the neck like you would with a puppy dog and pull <laughs> him over to the bench, or you just have, you don't even have to do that. You tell the the official, you say, "I'm switching in this goalkeeper for that goalkeeper, and that goalkeeper is no longer on the field," and let the referee deal with it and go sit down. The fact that he caved, I don't know how you go into the locker room and like tell anyone anything at this point. Like they have. They've got the rest of the season. They got the rest of the season to play. Soccer's weird, so they have the cup goes on at the same time as the as the regular season or whatever. I don't fully understand it, but the season's not over. Like there's like 15 games left. How is this guy going to manage the rest of the season? I have no idea. It doesn't make sense to me. And I think it's only a matter of time before he does get canned. But it was just, I mean, the theater watching that on TV as as it was happening. It was oh unbelievable. Gosh. Probably the most fun I've had watching sports this year. I mean, it was it was great. You know, I, I will say, like I said, I'm I'm not the biggest soccer enthusiast, but I have been to a Premier League game. I went to a Tottenham Hotspur game a couple of years back, and it was one of the most fun, if actually the most fun sporting event I've ever been to in my entire life. It was enthralling 
to watch in person. I loved it. Loved the chance. Loved the atmosphere. Loved the camaraderie of the fans. Loved the competition. It was a joy to watch. And there's no doubt if I lived in London that I would be all in on the Premier League. But I don't live in America where <laughs> we play football, baseball, and basketball. And, and we golf. So I, I think that's I'm more invested in that for that reason. Hopefully one of these days I can get as involved as you are because obviously it brings you a lot of joy. It's fantastic. Oh, I mean, I have, for the majority of my life, talked about how boring soccer is and how if a game can end 0-0, zero zero, it's not a sport worth playing. Um, and to some extent, I still believe that. But like you said, if you watch a game beginning to end, even if there's no goals, I mean, the I've really come to appreciate it as a sport more than I ever thought I would, and I would love to go to a game in person. It would be fantastic. But before we move on, I know you want to talk golf, but i got one more Premier League thing that I'm going to make you sit through and give me your outsider's opinion on. All right, let's go. So, Manchester Manchester United um, is probably the most prestigious team in England, I would say. I'm The way I try to think about soccer is I equate it to, like, college football because there's different leagues that are technically at the same level, but each league has higher quality of competition. So, like, ah. the SEC – like, the SEC is the best league. They're technically playing on the same level as, like, the American Athletic Conference, but – the SEC is a better league. There might be one team in the American Athletic that, that could compete in the SEC, but top to bottom, you know, that's how you kind of stratify the Wow, my league. eyes have been opened. See? And that, you can understand it a little better that way. So if carrying on this analogy, uh, the Premier League would be the SEC. It's the best league in the world, just like the SEC is the best league in college football. So Manchester United is the most prestigious, most historically successful team in the Premier League. So I would equate them to like Alabama in the SEC, the most historically roll tide, Paul. The most historically prestigious team, not necessarily the best team at any given moment. Alabama's the best team right now, but over the course of the history of the league, they're the most successful team. So right now, Manchester United is in a place where they are not the best team in the league, and they haven't been for some time. But just to give you an idea of how it sets up, Manchester United probably should be at the top of the league every year. So this year they were not. They're very bad, actually, by their standards. I think they're in sixth place, which doesn't sound that bad, but it's pretty bad for Manchester United standards. So they fire their manager. They go get a guy who I'd never heard of. His name is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I worked on that name a lot. Solskjaer. I don't know what the letter is. Ole? Ole. Are you sure it's Ole? It's Ole because they, they chant the Ole, Ole, Ole that everyone does at every sporting event. Uh, yeah, That's convenient. It's for him. So he apparently was... Uh, a key player on their team like 15 or 20 years ago when they are winning titles every year. So I would equate this to like, you know, I don't, A.J. McCarron or one of the quarterbacks from Alabama who wins a lot of championships but doesn't really, isn't one of the best players of all time but holds a special Blake place. Blake Sims. Sure, Blake's, Blake Sims holds a special place in the hearts of the fans. So this guy, after he retires, he's an assistant coach at Manchester United for a while goes and takes over his own Premier League team, Cardiff City, immediately gets relegated. They're terrible. He's an awful manager by all intents and purposes. You know, no success, gets fired. Go. He's Norwegian, by the way, if you couldn't tell by the name, Solskjaer. He goes home to Norway, uh. manages some random team in Norway, and it's fine. You know, they're fine. He's playing in Norway. This is like, it's like managing in the MAC, okay? So say he goes... Say this is a, a football coach who's you know originally from the Upper Peninsula in Michigan or something, and he goes and takes over Eastern Michigan, and they're like going seven and five every year. Whatever, he's doing fine. 
Well, then Man- right. Manchester United fires their coach halfway through the season, and they need an interim. So they call this guy up. He's a he's a legal he's a team legend who is not a very good manager. Comes in, immediately turns the season around. So they won I think ten games in a row. They went twelve or thirteen without losing a game. He's got them back into the top four, which is where you need to be to make the Champions League. And now there's this question of, well, we thought this was just going to be like a nice story. Come in, have a good half season, and then you know go about your merry way. We'll get a high-dollar manager. Well, now they're doing so well, people are worried that he's actually going to earn the job. What, as an outsider, you know, going with my football analogy, does this, does this guy from Eastern Michigan, who's never been good, deserve to keep the Alabama job? Or do you think that they break everyone's heart, fire the team legend, and go get an actually top-level manager? So, sounds like they need a Nick Saban, right? I mean, that's what you're looking no, for, here, right? So, here. So when you were you were talking about this, and I was reading about it, you know, preparing to talk about this, what came to my mind the most is: Do you remember when the Titans fired Wiz? Remember the and, Titans, indeed, I do. And Malarkey took over. Yep. Malarkey was interim coach. Yep. And it was known that Malarkey was just there to finish out the year, and then they were going to go get their high-dollar guy, sure. right, Robinson. Robinson was going to go get his guy. But what happened? You know, Malarkey came in and was good. You know, he, he was a lot better than Wiz was. He, he came in and sort of riot the ship, sort of say. Um, and so what happened was you had people saying, wow, this guy who we had no expectations for turned out to be Pretty good, actually. You know, I mean, he's we're in a lot better spot than we were before. So we are at a crossroads here. We can either fire somebody we knew was good or, you know, knew at least had some success coming from a pretty dire situation. Or we can go try to find our next guy, right? right. Like the, the next Nick Saban, the next McVay, you know, whatever. Like the... At that point, we could have hired McVeigh, which is real shame. Probably what we should it. have done, but you know, let's not let's not get into too specifics <laughs> <fair>. here. <laughs> so what did they do? They they stuck with malarkey, right? I mean, stick with you what's know, easy. Tales all this time. They stuck with what's easy. They stuck with malarkey, and he was fired a year later after another pretty good season. So I mean, I get it. Manu's been really good since this guy took over, um, but when you think about it you got to think about what he's done over his long career. You know, he's, he has not a young guy who, um, you know, had one head coaching gig and under his belt, sort of like a, a Josh McDaniels in Denver where, you know, he had his one opportunity and he wasn't very good, but he was young. So he deserves another opportunity. And he's a, you know, somebody that a lot of teams would like to hire, I would think. So, um, I think this guy's more like the malarkey type situation where he did pretty good. He's done pretty good. So, you can either keep him and, you know, hope that that continues and maybe take a next step, or you can go try to find next Sean McVay of football. I, so I, I would actually argue for the latter. I'm glad because I don't know, you know, as much as I've, as I've faked it for the last, you know, 15 minutes of this conversation, I don't know a ton about, about the Premier League other than, you know, what I'm able to watch, you know, a couple hours a week. But when... I love your malarkey analogy because as Titans fans, that's what we know the best. And when that whole thing was going down, I was telling everybody that would listen, like you can't keep malarkey. Malarkey has had multiple NFL coaching jobs where he has been terrible. His teams have been awful. 
He's never won anything. He's never made the playoffs. Like, he's never been anything other than abjectly bad. But he had a good half season, and now you're going to give him the reins when we have this young top five overall pick at quarterback who needs, you know, some some real tutelage and some real coaching. And everybody everybody in Nashville was like, oh, well, yeah, but he's so much better than Wisenhunt, so we have to keep him. And that's just a bad way to look at it, you know? Like, okay, he's better than the hack that you fired. So is that good enough? You know, is it good enough to be above average? Or if you're in a place like Manchester United or Alabama, or if you're a legitimate top-level job in whatever league you're in, should you settle for above average if your history tells you you should be winning championships, plural? And I just don't think you do. And you fire this guy. The fan, or you don't even fire him. He's, he's interim. You just let him go. And you go and get one of the best managers in the world, and your fans will be upset. But if you hire the right guy and you win championships, no one's going to care. But if you keep this guy around and he's average and you have to fire him next year or the year after that, then you really set the franchise back even farther. So I'm, I'm glad that from the outside you agree with my initial take on it. But, yeah, I just really wanted to put my Premier League is the SEC analogy out there and see if we can recruit some more fans to soccer. So I hope, I hope that worked. Well, I mean, the downloads are going to come flowing in probably after, wait, after that. Take. Wait for the tagline. No, man. Um, no, I mean, I'm, you you know way more about the Premier League than I do. And, I mean, you know, like you said, you don't know a ton. But just I think sports sort of translates. Um, and, and I really think that if you want to pursue greatness, you can't have a sort of a mediocre leader, you know, and I, I don't know nothing about this guy, but just from the analogy you said and reading about it, um, I think they would, they would be better off moving well, on. So that's the bottom line. Um, One more point before we get out. That's the bottom line. If you think if you, whoever the person is that runs Manchester United, if you think Ole is a world-class manager, then sure you keep him, but don't keep him just to make everybody happy. That's, that's my point. Go get a good manager, whether it's the one you got now or more likely it's someone else. Right. All right. So um, let's let's translate or let's uh, let's move on to something else. Um, unless you got anything else you need to get off your your chest. On, that, on that, that's enough for now. I mean, we're almost an hour in. So we, you know what? We can talk as long as we want, but let's keep rolling. All right. So listeners, just let that let that breathe. You know, just chew on that. You yeah. know, I, I think I think that's uh, have an yeah, open mind. Good for you to chew on. Have an open mind. Think about soccer. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm asking. All right, let's talk a little bit NBA. Um, I have been more into the NBA this year than in the years past. Um, so just got a couple of points I want to make and want to talk about. If you don't think these are interesting, just tell me and, and you know we can move on. Um, but I was looking at the championship odds and also the, the division championship odds for the NBA. Obviously, Golden State is... Head over heels, the favorite. They're actually one to two favorites. I mean, which is it's insane. Which is not surprising, um, to it's, be honest with it's you. It's not surprising and simultaneously ridiculous. But yeah. So so guess who? Okay, so Toronto's second. Toronto has second best odds right now. We're plus seven fifty. The Bucks are plus eight fifty. Sixers are plus nine fifty. Celtics are plus a thousand. What do all those teams have in common? All They're all from the in east, the east, right? Sir. Those teams are all in the East. 
What is the first Western team that has the best odds? I would do you think. Yes, it would be Houston. So Houston has the second best odds. I mean, Warriors obviously the first. Houston has the second best odds besides the Warriors. So actually the team with the best odds out of the West besides the Warriors to win the NBA championship is the Los Angeles Lakers. Really? The Lakers are right after the Celtics. The Lakers who are currently Lakers, under 500 and outside the playoffs. They have the sixth best odds to win the NBA championship. Here, let me show you something that's even crazier than that. If you look at the Pacific Division, the odds to win the Pacific Division, Golden State is, I mean, they're minus, gosh, what is that, 100,000. Okay, I mean, they're winning it. That's insane. All right. The Lakers are in that division. So, So... Phoenix is plus 100,000. All right, they're not winning it. Sacramento's plus 8,000. Sacramento's quietly a really good team. Yeah, okay? might actually make the playoffs. Sacramento, I mean, right. So Los Angeles Lakers are plus 4,000. Okay, I mean, they're not winning it. The Clippers are also plus 4,000, all right? So if you take that, the Lakers and the Clippers have the same odds to win the Pacific Division, but... The Clippers' odds to win the NBA championship are over plus 17,000, okay? And the Lakers are plus 1,100. Think about that. The Clippers are better than the Lakers, all right? Objectively The Clippers have worse odds than the Heat, the Mavericks, the Nets, who Nets are actually pretty good, the Pistons, the Hornets, the Pacers without Old Depot. And then a bunch of the Spurs and, of course, all the other teams at the top. Why is nobody giving credit to the Clippers? The Clippers are a good basketball team. Let me answer They're not going to win the championship. I will answer that with a question. No one is giving credit to the Clippers is your question. Why not? My question to you is who's the best player on the Clippers? Lou Williams yeah, is the there best you player go. on the That's Clippers. That's why. Because Lou Williams is the best player. Their best player was VFL Tobias Harris, and they traded him at the trade deadline. And now they're a good team. They have, you know, 11 or 12 good NBA players, but you're not going to win a playoff series with Sweet Lou as your best player. You're just not going to. I guess LeBron James is a difference maker there. But I, I would say it's a travesty that the Lakers are the second best odds to win. I get it, right? LeBron's been to. How many straight NBA finals? He's not going to the finals this year. They make the playoffs. You know, I, I actually think they make the playoffs. And if they're a six seed, maybe they they come out and, and beat Houston or whoever's the, the three seed. Maybe. I mean, you got LeBron, you got a chance, right? The, but Yeah, here's the deal. Because I haven't been paying as much attention to the NBA as I normally would this year because I just assumed that the Golden State is going to win the championship and I'll probably start watching – more intently as the playoffs come around. But from the outside looking in, my first thought when you say, when you read off those first five favorites in terms of odds, my first thought is, well, if I'm going to bet on this, I would probably throw a few dollars the Lakers way because they have LeBron. And, you know, what are the odds makers terrified of? They're terrified of people like me putting $5 on the Lakers and then LeBron making the playoffs as a seven seed, beating the Nuggets, beating the Thunder, 
and then Steph Curry blowing out his knee in the Western Conference Finals, and then LeBron's in the championship again. And it could happen. It could happen. Look, it's not going to happen, but it could happen. So they have to make that line so low that no one will take it because the possibility is there. And if they put that thing at plus 2,500 or something, they're going to take a bath on that in the you know 5% chance that LeBron does something ridiculous. So I hear what you're saying, you know, and it's crazy, but I understand why they're doing it. I'll say this. I'll say this. How about that. <laughs> I'll say this. Last year and the year before and the year before and the year before, along with the Patriots actually, for the past five years, LeBron James' team at about this point and actually about all-star break, people start saying, man, this is the year they're not going to make it out of the first round, mm-hmm. right? Like, sure. I mean, in, in Cleveland and actually in Miami, they were always pretty good. But in, in Cleveland the past couple of years, they said, oh, man, they're not as good this year. They're in the fourth, fifth, sixth spot in the East. Like, they're, it's just not going to happen this year. They're in a different spot. The Western Conference is definitely tougher and they're out of playoff picture right now. But I will say that their situation is not as bad as it appears. So be weary of that. Um, it'll be interesting to see how the Lakers sort of progress through the year and then through free agency because if the Lakers cannot sign a max guy this year, man, then it gets tough for LeBron, right? I mean, he, you got a good base around you, but they tried to – they tried to sell all those young guys for AD, so it's sort of like AD or bust, right? Yeah. I mean, who else are they going to... I mean, it's a complete chemistry nightmare at this point because LeBron is like 35 years old with his, you know, three rings and he's his entire supporting cast is, you know, 21 and 22-year-olds who are super talented. But just think about being in a workplace with someone who is either 12 years older than you or 12 years younger than you. Like, you might have a decent working relationship with that person, but the chemistry is just going to be off because you're in completely different generations. So I'm not surprised well, that the chemistry is bad, you know, and I, you, I guess you are in that situation or at least to yeah, some extent. I, I would actually translate your take, which I think is so true over to the Celtics as well. Cause the Celtics, you have all of these young guys and then you have Kyrie who is 26. Kyrie's 26. Think about that for a second. I mean, he's, Seems like he's been in the league forever, but he's 26, so he's younger. But he's a guy that has a ring, right? Mm-hmm. Kyrie has a ring. He's hit the game-winning shot in Game Seven. Like you think about the workplace environment, like you said, think about if you got a good young base of sort of of you know employees, and then you got the guy that's just a little bit older than you and has been you know pretty successful and sort of like. Hey, I'm going to take these young guys, you know, under my wing, and but it's really still all about me, you know. That just that also doesn't bode well for good chemistry, and, and that's what I think sort of going on in Boston right now. And Boston is super talented. I mean, the lineup they have is stupid, you know, but a lot of times, you know, that team you say is super talented, but just doesn't seem to gel well together. You, most of those teams don't really figure it out, so. Um, which kind of because I didn't see that coming from Boston, you know, especially with Brad Stevens and um, I don't know. Well, but there, I think what you sort of said there sort of translate to Boston as well. It, and it's it's tough because these guys are so they have such different backgrounds in terms of their professional experience, and 
in both Boston and L.A., pretty much everyone on that roster, even by NBA standards, is really talented. I mean, they both have a ton of young guys, a ton of guys who were, you know, top five, top ten picks, you know, the best player on their college team. And now they're asked to take a back seat to this superstar, you know. And whether it's, you know, whether it's Kyrie or even more so when it's LeBron James. I mean, imagine being Alonzo Ball and being 20 years old and you've got your team, the Lakers, it's you and Brandon Ingram, and you're kind of building into something. And then they bring in LeBron. And now whatever leadership role you were stepping into or whatever whatever role you had as the point guard on this team, you immediately have to cede that to LeBron. And you you do that because it's LeBron, but it's got to be tough to find to find your niche after that, you know, because you had last year this team was one thing. It was a young team that was building for the future. They were growing together. Everybody was kind of in the same, you know, generational bracket coming up on the same timetable. And then you just drop in who I th- a guy who I think is the best player of all time who's 10 or 12 years older than you and who is, you know, notoriously petulant and needy and not a good teammate, you know, and the dynamic that that does to a team is interesting. And you're seeing how tough it is to, to navigate, but at the same time, you know, it's kind of predictable. And I think we said on an informal podcast last year, when LeBron picked the Lakers, to me, he was saying that if he doesn't win any more rings, that's okay. That he's come to a point in his career where he thinks he's done the majority of his winning. And now he's thinking about life after basketball. So if that's the case, and if my shot in the dark was right there, that this is more about his career after basketball and living a comfortable life and being in a place he wants to be, then he needs to kind of cool it with some of this diva stuff that he's been playing this year and, you know, throwing his teammates under the bus and whining and complaining for, you know, AD or whoever the next big free agent is trying to get back together with Kyrie after he kind of ran him out of town in Cleveland. If you're in a place where you just kind of want to coast into the sunset and if you can win another championship, you win another one, fine, but there are more important things to you than, you know, take these kids under your wing, like you're saying. You know, show them the rope. Show them how to be an NBA superstar and don't constantly float their name on your Instagram account as, you know, trade chips to go land the next superstar. I, I love LeBron. I think LeBron's the best basketball player of all time, and I think he's handled this season incredibly wrong, you know, in every way. I think he's done a bad job of being a teammate, and I hope that they figure it out because I would love to see, like, a second-round series between LeBron's Lakers and the Warriors. I think that'd be fantastic television. It would be awesome. And I hope that they figure it, it out. It would be really but, awesome. You know, I think... I don't know. I'm, we'll I'm, see. I'm worried we've seen the last of good LeBron teams, and I hope that's not the case because I really... I really enjoy watching him. I think we're going to be telling our grandkids we got to watch him, you know, 50 years from now. Yeah. You know, I actually disagree. Um, I, I think that there's a, uh, I think there's a couple more um, good LeBron teams that are coming, coming up through the fold. So um, I, I think he's got one last good run in him. I hope you're right. Um, I hope you're right. You might be. You know, look, if they sort can. Sort of a good, like, Kevin, Gana- Kevin Garnett. If they, can, um, if they can swing a trade for Anthony Davis and then bring Kyrie in in free agency, I mean, that's – there you go. you got a team that can compete with the Warriors, especially if they lose KD. So they're not far away, yeah. but I just think that – They are. It's not, they are far away. Yeah, and it's going to take, you know, two or three huge moves to get them there, which you can see it happening. Right. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. So, um, definitely updates, updates coming, coming through um, the NBA as we go on. Um, all right, let's move on um, and 
talk a little NFL um, with the most pressing. Man, we buried the lead on this. <laughs> and, and that's, that is Antonio Brown possibly, potentially, hopefully coming to the Titans in a trade. He's one of the three suitors mentioned by Adam Schefter along with the Oakland Raiders and the Washington Redskins. So Sam is Antonio Brown soon to be wearing the two-tone blue. Well, as long-term listeners to this podcast will know, this is 100% a Titans podcast, and we've waited till we were over an hour in to talk about the Titans. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> or sorry, it took, whichever way it, it you It took uh, a lot of self-restraint slash negligence on our part to wait this long. My short answer... Also some interesting Premier League stuff. A lot of Premier League stuff. We talked for a long time about Tennessee basketball, which I appreciate you obliging me on both <laughs> of those fronts. It was great. Um to answer your question, no, no, the Titans are not going to land Antonio Brown because that would be a bold and outside the box move. It would be risky. It would be aggressive. It would um, shoot a be a jolt of energy into this franchise. And if I know anything about the Titans, it's that they are versed to all those things. They want nothing aggressive. They want nothing fun. They want nothing energetic. They want nothing new. They want nothing out of the box. So no. They will not. I'm shocked that we're even in this, you know, having conversations about Antonio Brown. They are going to be. This is the team that hired Mike Malarkey in 2016. All right, mm. it's the general manager mm. that hired Mike Malarkey as a as the permanent coach. This is the team that was trying to run exotic Smash Mouth in 2017. It's a uh-huh. team that last year lost lost their best two tight ends, yet still somehow managed to have four tight ends active <laughs> on game day in a game they had to win to get to the playoffs. No, they're not going to sign Antonio Brown. They're going to go get another old white tight end, and they're going to squander Marcus Mariota's prime. And it, it breaks my heart, but it is what it is. Man. Oh, man. That makes me want to throw up, but you're so right. Doesn't it it make you want to throw up? It does. It should make you want to throw up. Gosh, part of me is just hoping that all that stuff that you just mentioned is reason to make a big splash. It 100% is reason to make a big splash, but it's not a reason they'll do it. You know? I mean, here's the thing. They don't give up 19 for it. I mean, they don't give up. They do not give up the 19th pick for Antonio Brown. I don't think they do it. I think they give up a two, but Oakland has those two first-round picks Oakland's at the end of the that. first. you got to give up your first because Oakland's given up a first. Yeah. How, how ironic is it, though, that Oakland traded Amari Cooper, who is younger, cheaper, and has more potential value going forward for a first-round pick, who they will then trade for Antonio Brown, who is older, costs more money, and more problems. Okay, look, you're not going to hear me say a bad word about John Gruden because I have tweets out there about John Gruden. And I, Groomers! And I can't start talking bad about John Gruden now or, you know, the things will come out. So I'm not going to say anything bad about John Gruden. I think he has made some questionable decisions at this point, but let's let him draft and see how it works out. Now, from the Titans' perspective, I agree with you. There's no way they're giving up the 19th overall pick. My next question to you, my next point, is how mad are you going to be when we keep the 19th <laughs> overall pick instead of trading for Antonio Brown, who is a little older, he is, um, you know, a, a problem in the locker room. He's a lot to deal with. He's also one of the best receivers in the league. And if you could find a great receiver who is not a locker room problem, you've either got Jerry Rice or Larry Fitzgerald. You know, 90% of them are, you know, children. They are. It's just it's just the way they are. 
So you're not going to trade the 19th pick for this guy who's an all-pro. And then at 19, they select Garrett Bradbury, center from North Carolina State. How mad are you going to be? Because I'm going to be furious. I'm going to be there in attendance in Nashville at the draft, and I'm going to boo lustily. I'm already mad about it. Are you seriously going to go? I don't maybe. I don't know. Probably not because this is what's going to happen. But if I was there, I'm so mad. I'm going to be. I'm already mad about it. It hasn't happened yet. They're going to take some slow interior offensive lineman from the ACC with a top twenty pick instead of trading it for an All Pro. And I'm just. I've had it with this franchise. I've had it with this franchise for the last five years, and I hate it because I love Marcus, and they're ruining his career. They're ruining it. I'm not putting any blame on the player. It's all in the organization, and I'm mad. You're redneck mad right redneck now. Mad. Redneck mad. I'm redneck mad about it. Let's have Aaron Lewis on and see what he thinks about this. <laughs> oh man, um, man. There's I, I don't I don't know where to start. Um, I mean, did I say anything Titans that's incorrect? That, like, did, am I no, misreading this that's, at all? No, you didn't say anything that's incorrect, and that's what I'm struggling with right now. Um, you know, I I think the Titans as a whole. Play it pretty safe. Play it pretty close to the chest. Um, well, I mean, when you can go nine and seven, there. When you go nine, when you can go nine and seven, you got to lock that in. At, at night, at the 19th pick, you're not going to take a receiver because you don't need another young receiver. Nope. Um, you you don't you can't take a running back. Obviously, you're you're pretty much you're going to take either an interior lineman. An interior defensive lineman or an edge rusher. Or you take another tight end after we have seven <laughs> on the roster. Who, look, there are two borderline first-round tight ends from Iowa, and if one of those does not end up on the Titans, I will never come on this podcast again. We are getting, we talk about, we are getting one of those tight ends from Iowa. It's happening. Can we talk about why Iowa has these huge tight ends, yet why do I just don't throw them ball every possession? No idea, man. I don't know. Ask your father-in-law. He's the coach. <laughs> Ferris needs to figure it out. <laughs> um, I mean, seriously, if Titans need – you could go get an interior defensive lineman. You could, you could – I mean, an interior offensive lineman in free agency. You could go get an, a tackle in free agency and turn him into a guard, and he would be an all-pro. Absolutely. Like, the tackles would be all-pro guards. Um, so get Kelvin Beecham and put him at guard. You know what I mean? I, that's all I'm asking. He'd be great. Look, he would be great. Just in terms of the draft, who are the Titans' best interior defensive linemen? Jarrell Casey, third-round pick. Austin Johnson, fourth-round pick. You know, you moved to the edge. Brian Arakpo got him in free agency on a pretty cheap deal. Um, what's the guy's name? Finch, undrafted free agent. Landry, second-round Landry, second-round pick. On the offensive side, Ben Jones, your starting guard, was a fourth-round pick who you got on a cheap free agent deal. Quentin Spain, cheap free agent deal. Josh Klein, I'm pretty sure he was an undrafted free agent. Yet we continue to go out and you spend top 10 picks on Chance Warmack out of the league. Jack Conklin, who was an all-pro's rookie year, I blasted that pick. I thought it was terrible. It looks pretty bad now. He's been bad for two years. I just, I want this team to do something risky because they've been safe for five years and it gets you nine and seven and out in the first round of the playoffs and that's fine after you were as bad as they were under Wisenhunt okay I understand Wisenhunt was terrible and you want you want somebody who can get you respectable fair enough I thought it was terrible at the time it turned out not to be great but 
at some point you got to try to win on a serious level because if you keep going nine and seven, you're going to keep having games with fifty thousand people there, uh, and you're going to you're alienating your fan base. I'm I'm not going to with, Titans with game. with twenty thousand people of those being the other exactly teams fans. exactly. I'm I mean I'm at a point where I don't know when the last time I paid to go to a Titans game was. I mean I I went with you. When, when you guys got tickets, it was great. We had a good time, but it wasn't because the game was any good. I mean, we almost lost to the Jets that day, you know? Ooh, yeah. and we had a great time. Was, yeah. We had a great time, but it was right. a great time hanging out with friends and family. It was not a great time watching a, a fun product on the field. And I wish that we had a fun product to watch on the field. I really do. And I just don't have any I mean, confidence that, that we're going to get one anytime soon. Gosh, you're so right. I'm I mean, sorry for being you're so negative. So right. Yeah, it's not. No, I mean, but you're 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 right about it. I mean, that's the thing. Like you you take an interior offensive lineman at 19, it, it could be it could turn out to be uh, Quentin Nelson, right? Yeah, but, but more likely, good. it's going to turn out to be Warmack. I mean, that's just there's there's more Warmacks out there than Nelsons. Well, that, that's that's the honest truth. So, um, I mean, I think in in the draft you you more you should draft athleticism higher than need if that makes sense like especially in the sense of you know you you can get a offensive lineman in the fourth round and develop him into a starter like it's it's a lot easier to develop an offensive lineman the fourth into a qualified interior starter than it is to find a impact wide receiver in the fourth you know like the the guys that have the skill set and the athleticism to be impact are gone by but then. that's that's the so, point like it's not that that you can't get an all pro lineman in the first round you can't i mean quentin nelson was great this year there's examples every year of great offensive linemen or defensive linemen interior defensive linemen early in the draft but the point is you can get a guy who's 85 percent that good in the fourth round but how many guys can you get in the fourth round that are stud playmakers either on offense or defense they just don't come around as often that's why they're inherently more valuable so you could you should use your higher picks on guys who can win you games I mean I'm not against having good lines I think you got to have good lines but it's easier to get those guys later in the draft or for cheap and free agency or just develop them yourself like you said go get Kelvin Beecham who you could probably get for six million dollars in free agency move him inside he'll probably be one of the best guards in the league I just do that instead of you know I I can't talk about it anymore. I'm gonna be. I'm. I'm already mad. I'm getting more mad by the minute. All right, let's move to something more happy, and that's golf. Oh yes, um, golf. <laughs> uh, Keith Mitchell won the Honda, uh, which is huge. Keith Mitchell, Chattanooga native. Um, great, great, great for him. Great for Chattanooga. First time winner. He was um, so every year they take. Uh, 25 players from the web and and move them to the PGA Tour. And two years ago, he was the 26th player, so he didn't make it. Um, so for him to to win a, a PGA Tour event, um, you know, locking up his PGA Tour status, he may have been already you know full status, but um, still huge life accomplishment. That was pretty cool, especially birdieing 18 there um, to jump ahead of of Ricky and and Kepka. Um, was really cool. But the real story here was Vijay Singh, right? Vijay Singh is 56 years old. And he looks it, buddy. 56 years old. He looks it. Man, Vijay Singh. So Vijay Singh, I, I, I heard this the other day, and so I, I wanted to confirm it, and, and I just need to share this with the world. Vijay Singh, where, where do you think he is on the money list 
all time in the PGA Tour. All time on the money list. Okay, so I'm gonna walk walk everybody through this with me through my through my thought process. Um, and what will probably be a shock to the masses, I watched quite a bit of the Honda Classic yesterday afternoon because there's not a lot on Sunday afternoons now. Um, still have never heard of this Mitchell person. Good for him. I'm glad he's from Chattanooga. Never heard of him. Um, I watched a lot of that yesterday. I saw some clips of Vijay Singh from his first tournament win in 1993, which is almost as old as I am. Um, wow. So that's 25 years. For the most part, I'm assuming he's been active in the PGA for 25 years. Um, we've established that golfers who consistently make the cut in the PGA on the PGA Tour make obscene amounts of money. It's a very well-paying sport if you can get to the highest level. So 25 years of an obscene amount of money. I've got to say VJ's in the top 10 all time. I would say eight. So VJ's won 34 career PGA Tours. That's crazy. That does not count. Majors, that does not count. Worldwide events, just PGA Tour events. And he is third on the all-time career earnings. He has won $71 million playing on the PGA Tour. And that does not even count the $10 million that he won for winning the FedEx Cup one year. So plus, you know, all the money he's made worldwide plus endorsements. I mean, the guy's had a pretty good career, and it's easy to forget about. I mean, you think about Phil, who Tiger and Phil are number one and two. Tiger's made $116 million just playing golf on the PGA Tour. That's not counting any majors or anything, which he's got a ton of those. So, But anyway, you think about that. Um, VJ's three is so easy to forget that. Um, how can you name anybody else in the top 10 all time PJ? Obviously, I, I'll give you a hint. You know, players are making more now than they ever have. So, you know, Jack Nicholas isn't on this. That's so. why I would, I would guess that all 10 would be at least relatively modern players. Um, but I mean, VJ being number three blows my mind. That's insane. He's like the classic guy who he's never been the best golfer in the world. He's probably, has he ever been one of the top five golfers in the world? You would know better than I, I would. I find it kind of hard to believe. I, I don't know if he's ever been one. Um, I'm not sure. That's a good question. I have no idea. But I mean, if you can get your kid on the PJ tour, do it. Um, I would guess that the rest of the top 10 money list is Ernie Els on there. Yeah. He's eight. David. Good call. Davis love the third. No, Davis Love the third is actually number eleven. Oh, I'm all over it. Um, so I mean, obviously, guys like Spieth isn't Spieth's too young, right? right? I mean, those guys in their mid 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 twenties are too young. So basically, but you're probably looking be, at guys from the early two thousands who were like kind of riding that Tiger and Phil wave, who were very good but weren't to the level of Tiger and Phil. Obviously, I'm guessing, and and some good golfers right now that are just a little bit older. I don't know. Who else you got? So number four is Jim Furyk. Um, Jim, Jim Furyk. I could have guessed all day, and I would have never thought. Even though he fits that criteria perfectly, but I would have never guessed. He's made $69,000. I mean, 69000 <laughs> He's made $69 million. So he's um, done okay. Uh, DJ's number five. Really? Um, DJ's a little bit older. Wow. Um, he's won 20 PGA Tour events. Um, he's made... Fifty fifty nine million dollars. Uh, Justin Rose is six. 
um, then you kind of get into this um, era of guys like you're talking about with Adam Scott, seven, um, a little bit older. Ernie Els was eight. Sergio is nine. And Matt Kuchar is 10. Matt Kuchar is 10th on the PGA Tour all-time money list. And let me reiterate, this is not all tournaments. It's just the PGA Tour. And he's still really cheap to caddy after he won <laughs> that event in Mexico. Let it let, let that be known. Let the record show. Um, so Tiger's missing the honor Arnold Palmer next week with a neck strain. Are we worried? No. He'll he'll play in the players probably and if not he'll be ready for Augusta. Um, I think he's been playing with it for a couple weeks. So um, the players is in two weeks. Um, this next week, you know, like I said, they're they're going to Bay Hill to, to play the Arnold Palmer Invitational. Um, the players that the PGA Tour tries to bill as this fifth major, um, it's you know got got the highest payout I think of any tournament. Um, you know, so that'll be interesting. So that, I, I love watching seventeen on that tournament at Island Green. It, that's always it's always fun to watch. Um, our yeah, mutual just, mutual just friend of golf. the pod, Andrew Molnor, has played that green, and he claims that he did not hit it in the water. Now, I wasn't there, uh, and I don't know. I'm not saying I don't believe him. I'm just saying I wasn't there. But if his story is true, nice shot by Molnor to hit that green. Seems like a tough shot. No, I'm skeptical. <laughs> I'm skeptical. That shot's actually like 100 110 oh, yards, yeah, which I'd almost read. I'd almost rather it be like 180. You know? Yeah, well, I don't know if that makes sense. 110 is like your pitching wedge is going over, but are you going to be able to muscle a sand wedge that far? Do you really want to try to muscle a sand wedge that far? This is in depth golf analysis you weren't expecting from this half of the podcast, but you're getting it. Well, you should you should go caddy. <laughs> I've got no um, answers. I've right, only got so questions. Let's let's roll through these last two topics that we have. All right, um, and. First is the NHL. Um, let's just hit a couple quick points. Um, Preds, real quick, being the Tennessee pod that we are. Preds are scaring me a little bit, sort of like the, um, you know, we are talking about the Celtics a minute ago. I mean, like, really good team, really, really, you know, strong talent presence. And, and um, they have shown that they can do it before, but – Obviously, David Poyle you know, showed that they needed to make some changes when they went out and made some some trades, um, you know, in the trade deadline there. But um, am I worried about the Preds? Not yet. I'm not worried yet. Um, there are, you know, am I taking note? Yeah, I'm taking note of how they're doing. Your ears but perking up a little I'm, bit. I'm not. Yeah, my ears are perking up a little bit, but uh, I'm not saying I'm, I'm I'm full full out nervous yet. What about you? I've I think I've said before on this podcast that I've I've made concerted efforts to get more into hockey as a whole. Um, still not really there yet. Know quite a bit about the Predators just from being this close to it um, and having a good hockey team in your city is a lot of fun. But I don't know a ton about the NHL outside of Nashville. That being said, watching the Predators reminds me a lot of the Vols basketball team, the Tennessee basketball team because they are obviously super talented. It's a group that's played a lot of hockey together, um, had some success, and it just seems like they're in the midst of a long regular season and they're not playing to their full potential in terms of intensity and bringing it every night, which doesn't bother me yet. Now, 
they're in a battle with the Jets to for first place in the in their division. And I'm not And the Blues. And and the Blues, they do scare me a little bit, but they're I don't I'm not fully um I don't fully trust my knowledge of how the NHL playoffs work. I believe whoever finishes second in that division is going to end up facing the Blues in the first round, which seems like something I want no part of. Um, why, and then they'd have to face the team that then, finished first yeah, in this then, division. So what the little national hockey coverage that I have consumed, everybody seems to think that you're looking for a second-round Jets-Predators series again, which is a replay of last year which is not a series that I'm looking forward to after watching that one last year. The Jets are really good and seem to match up really well with the Predators. But I definitely don't want to play the Blues and then the Jets. That's a tough That's a tough road to get to the Western Conference Finals. Um, so I would say I, I would agree with you. I'm not nervous yet, but they need to turn it on here because we're getting close to the end of the season. We're getting close to, getting close to the playoffs, and they need to get that one seed if they really want to make another run to the Cup. So, looking at the lines right now for the NHL, um, the Lightning are favored by a lot. I mean, the Lightning, Lightning are stupid oh, good. Yeah, the Lightning are um, ridiculous. They're, they're plus 225 right now. But then you've got Calgary plus 700, San Jose plus 700, Toronto plus 750, Winnipeg plus 850, Boston plus 900. Then the Preds are plus 1,200. I mean, they're the seventh team, um, which for how – Honestly, unpred like they've been playing, you know, it's not it's not too bad. But um, like I said, ears perked up a little bit. Not not super worried just because they've been there and done it before. I, I think that you know they've had some injuries they've dealt with, sort of getting in sync. Going to take a little bit with these new guys, but um, I still have faith. I have faith. I, I feel a lot better if we're playing uh, Winnipeg in Game Seven in Nashville. But you know, I, I think that. Um, the problem with playing Winnipeg and from playing St. Louis too is both of those teams are so physical that it's going to be really tough. Let's say you go seven games with Winnipeg and end up winning. I mean, gosh, what are you going to have left for that next series after that? You know, it's it's going to be brutal. Actually, you have to play two more series after exactly. that. Exactly. After that, you've um, got so, probably what Calgary or San Jose, who's also stupid good. And yeah, we had Winnipeg in Game Seven at home last year. I was in attendance at that game. And the Predators did not have much of a chance from the word go. Now that was the game that Pekka let in a couple. Pekka got yeah, pulled. Pekka let in a couple of you know questionable goals early and got immediately pulled, which I didn't like that move at the time. Um, UC Saros came in, he shut him out the rest of the way, but you still lose two to nothing. So I don't feel super confident playing the Jets. Period. But you're going to have to beat the Jets to get where you want to go. Um, so I'm just. I want to have high-quality playoff games in Nashville deep into the summer like we had a couple years ago because there's nothing more fun than the HL playoffs. I mean, that's, it was so fun when the Preds went on their run to the Stanley Cup and seeing an entire community come like get together behind a team is something that we haven't experienced much of being sports fans in Middle Tennessee. So it was great, and I hope we get another run like that. I'm really rooting for them. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt. Um, all right, so, man, I think that covers covers a sports talk for us. I mean, gosh, we didn't really have much to talk about, huh? Uh, we're um, only an hour and a half in. We didn't even talk about baseball, so <laughs> save that for next week. Oh, man, I know. We'll, we'll, we'll really dive into, dive into baseball next week for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, baseball's getting geared up here. So um, let's uh, – 
let's talk one of these one of these conspiracies. I I can't my my interest is peaked. Okay, you know, like I can't I can't not talk about this right let me, now. So, let me put these on a on a little platter, and then I'll let you pick which one we go with because uh, we can't we can't hit. You know, we've we've kicked around two or three, and we we need to pick one, and then we'll save one for next week, and maybe we can kind of do this do this moving forward. And I want to be. You know, upfront, full disclosure, I'm borrowing this idea from the Reed's Ranch podcast. If you're crossover listeners, you know, Seth and John do a conspiracy corner, and it's a great idea, and I want to talk about it with my buddy Austin on this podcast. So, now I've I've brought my own conspiracies to this. We're not just straight stealing content. So, what, of the, of the... We just partially steal We're just content. stealing ideas, and we're, we're generating our own content through an idea we borrowed from someone else. Of the 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 couple of conspiracies I've got here, and a couple others that we you know have mentioned, give me one that you want to talk about, and we'll 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 go semi deep into it, and then we can we can save some for later in the pod, later in the pod's course next week, the week after that. All right, good deal. So the one that really interests me the most, which I I just have had my eye on this whole time. So Sam asked me, you have. And, and mythology and stories and history, you have dinosaurs, right? Absolutely. You, you have fossils. You have prehistoric beings. Um, so talk to me about this conspiracy that dinosaurs are fake, okay? They're not real. They're fictional. But dragons are real. Right. So you said that dinosaurs are in mythology and history and all of that. That's actually not true. Um, every There's an article that I'm trying to find as we speak, and I can't find it, but, I mean, this is informal. We're going off the seat of our pants here. Just trust me, there's an article on the Internet about this. I didn't make this up. Someone else made it up. Yeah, we go off the cuff Some, here. It's fine. Someone else made this up, and I'm citing their made-up work. So in every civilization throughout human history that we have documentation of, that we have historical artifacts of, that we have writings from. There are stories or accounts of dragons or dragon-like creatures. Big big lizards who breathe fire, basically, everywhere. You see it across the world, different, you know, different continents, different groups of people. What you don't see are dinosaurs. Until, I believe, the year is 1841, when... The word dinosaur is basically invented, and then that immediately in 1841, from that point on, people start finding dinosaur bones. Now, before 1841, people were finding, quote-unquote, dinosaur bones, but they just assumed they were dragons or some other large creature. What my question is to you is that why do we just fall in line like sheep and assume that the dinosaur story is real when... Before that specific date in relatively modern history, you don't have any documentation of dinosaurs. And from that date in relatively modern history till now, you all of a sudden start seeing dinosaurs everywhere. Why couldn't dragons be real and dinosaurs not be real? Tell me why that's crazy. Let me ask you this, okay? On your, on your way to work today, did you see... A bronchiosaurus outside your window. No, I did not. Did you 
when you went to when you went to dinner last night, did you stumble upon a Velociraptor? Velociraptor. Nope. Good thing for the Velociraptor too, because I would have won that fight. Let's be honest. <laughs> but have you ever in your life seen a dragon? And I can say I have because of kimono dragons, which proves to me that it's a it's an ancestor. You know, it, it it's. It's a, it's a, it's a God's little reminder that, yeah, yeah, actually dragons were here, you know? I mean, I, I just, I think that looking at the idea of having dragons and dinosaurs sort of could be in the same family, you know? I mean, like just these big creatures that, that walked on the earth, right? Um, but why was dinosaurs not why, why have dinosaurs just recently been discovered and sort of made this known fact you know when when dragons through all you know mythology you know coming up throughout the times has sort of been exploited onto a you know dragons in this story in this story in this story now i mean very possibly you know, dragons sort of just started off as this, you know, mythical creature and started off, you know, way back and it's just sort of been passed up like, oh yeah, dragons are this monster ride. Monsters are great to ride about, um, you know, and, and then we've recently found these bones and we're like, oh wow, these were actually big animals, you know, um, Gosh, there's a lot to unwrap here for the first time hearing about this. Well, I've got there's a second layer to the conspiracy theory, which you kind of danced around a little bit. And the reason that this article that I'm citing that I can't find that someone probably made up, the reason someone that this person gives for the dinosaur thing coming about in the mid 1800s is because that's the time where the theory of evolution starts really taking root. And you and I are, you know, full disclosure, we're Christians, we're people of faith, and we tend to believe the biblical account of things. So the, the conspiracy goes that the non, you know, non-religious sect of the world wanted some quote-unquote evidence to disprove the biblical account of things. So if you could find these dinosaurs that were, you know, millions and millions of years old, it disproves the biblical account of creation. Now, I, you know, I'm not saying that part of the conspiracy is true. I'm not saying any part of the conspiracy is true. I'm giving you the second layer. So that could... If it was true, it wouldn't be a conspiracy. I mean, yeah. If it was, if it was true, it wouldn't be a conspiracy. It would be fact. So... Right, exactly. Which you can't prove as fact. But I mean, if we're going to dabble into, you know, into the faith side of things, did you know that dragons are in the Bible in several different places? When, what places are, are dragons in the Bible? There several places. There's there's talks about in Isaiah, Ezekiel, in Job. This is what I'm trying to pull up now. Let me see. Job 41, verse 21. The Bible talks about a monster whose breath sets coals ablaze and has flames darting from its mouth. That sounds like a dragon to me, my guy. I mean, come on. You're telling me that oh. I, that, that puts it squarely in fact for me. I mean, I would say a lot of... The heavenly creatures, um, even in Revelation, sort of have a dragon-esque appearance to them. Um, you know, and, and I, don't, I don't remember reading 
Not any dinosaurs. It, they, um, they, I don't think the word dinosaur is ever used, but I found another one. Psalms 18.8. Smoke rose from its nostrils, consuming fire came from its mouth, and burning coals blazed out of it. I mean, look, if you're going to say you believe what the Bible says, it sounds like there's dragons in there. So what do we do with these bone, these dinosaur bones then? Well, that's the other part of it is, have you ever been to the Natural History Museum? Say the Smithsonian yes. Natural History Museum or any Natural History Museum. You go in, have. they have the huge T-Rex statue usually, right? It's the first one you see when you come in. Right. Real real kid, please. Breathtaking. I mean, just awe-inspiring. You, we've seen Night at the Museum. The T-Rex is everybody's favorite. It's fantastic. If you read the plaques on those, it'll usually say something to the effect of, this is a representation, an artist representation based on the few artifacts that were found. So what they do is they find two or three bones and they reconstruct the rest of the skeleton out from there. Now, I'm not saying that they completely make up what they think it was. What I am saying is that they take a handful of bones and make an entire skeleton out of it. So who's... Wait, so those skeletons are not fully... All, all bones that they've that archaeologists have, have dug no, up. No, you don't find an entire T-Rex skeleton just laying there for you when you go digging. You find a bone here and a bone there, and even if they all they all are, Man, even if they all, I must be really naive. But even, I mean, I've never even if they I've all are real that. bones, there's no way to prove that they come from the same animal, or even if they're from the same time period. And they take them, and they take them, and they put them together in such a way that it'll make people come to the museum. Which you know, that's you're a museum. You're trying to get people to come in. I understand, but I think a lot of times it's been passed off as fact that this is what this animal looked like. When really, you can't say for sure that that's what that animal looked like. And we have, you know, decades and decades and hundreds of years now of of indoctrination into this is what the dinosaurs look like. So when we find things, we inherently fit it into well this looks like a t-rex so it must belong to a t-rex instead of furthering our knowledge trying to find you know maybe it's something else maybe it's something we don't know about you know i think this really connects to a part of us that just assumes um assumes a lot you know i I think that there's so many things that we hear on a day-to-day basis that we you know we think we know about, but we just know about because people have told us something or people have, um, you've read something about it, you know, like, um, man, I, the, when I go, when I go to the store and I buy a gallon of milk, I'd say like, all right, this milk is from a cow. Right. But like, I I don't know that. Like, I, I really don't, you know, like, I mean, it's, it's, it was, it's told to me, you know, through, um, you want to learn in school or do commercials, do, you know, talking with people like, hey, this liquid is from a cow. I've never milked a cow before. I don't know, you know, like seriously. Um, and there, you think about it and there's so many things like that in life that you, the, the origins of them, you know, but you don't really know. You, you just have been told by somebody or you've read about in a book. And um, now 99.9% of things, you know, I, I think you can make a safe assumption. Like I know the milk that I'm drinking is, is most likely from a cow, but, um, you know, there, I think there's some things that, you know, if, if somebody's got a 
agenda or if, you know, somebody's trying to push a topic, um, which certainly happens. And, and I would say firsthand that, that I'm, you know, a little naive and gullible and, 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 you know, just sort of go with the flow, which is, um, something I should probably dive into stuff a little more, but, um, you know, I, I do think that there's, you know, people do have sometime other intentions. So, um, I don't know. Just something to chew on. It definitely there. is, and I think I mean we're getting a little deeper than what we usually get on this podcast. But I think you can live your entire life and be pretty happy with, like you said, with what with what people tell you, and you know that the milk is from a cow, and that you know everything that we learned in school is right, and you can be happy with that, and you can live your whole life, and it's never going to affect you one way or the other. And typically, I think that's what we do. I know that's what I usually do. You know, I just go about my life, my daily life, and I you know, do the things I need to do. And I, you know, have whatever ambitions that I have and anything beyond the surface level doesn't really impact you on a, you know, on a real level in your life. But if, I mean, you can delve into anything and how do you know something's true unless you know it for yourself? Well, the only other way you can know is if you comes from a trusted source, well, what is a trusted source, you know? And that's a whole nother rabbit hole that we could go down. But there's a lot of conspiracies out there, and I think we might have, you know, maybe this is our new podcast. Maybe we just talk about conspiracy theories. <laughs> sometimes, I mean, sometimes you just got to fire the the coach and, and look for the next Sean McVay. Exactly. You know? I wonder you just gotta, how much money. Sometimes you just got to just trade for Antonio I Brown. wonder how much money it would take to get Sean McVay to leave the L.A. Rams and go coach Manchester United. Ooh. Three firsts. <laughs> next week on the pot. <laughs> wow i mean i put the perfect perfect bow so um you know anybody anybody that an hour and 40 minutes in was listening to us talking about talking about dinosaurs and dragons um you're the real hero the real MVP. you know um but yeah i mean if 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 anybody is you know just um i would encourage you to, to tweet at us um you know uh just let us know a, a topic that, that you'd like us to dive into um, here on the pod and, you know, definitely bring you on and, and see what you think about it as well. So doesn't have to be conspiracy, um, any topic under these, under the sun, we are willing to spend 15 minutes talking about. So just, just yeah. the, the wackier, the better, bring it on. Or an hour 45, whatever, you know, whatever we'll do it a takes. whole podcast on whatever your crazy topic if you want us to. Um, yeah. So puts a, puts a, puts a good bow on it. You got anything else to add? I think I have exhausted everything I can say for the night and my computer is getting ready to die. So we probably need to sign off. All right. Let's sign off. Um, thanks everybody. that's listened to this long. Um, you can always find us on Twitter at informal us for Sam Lewis. I'm Austin Coley. We will catch you next time. Peace. Peace.